Summary of 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari Introduction Fresh off the rear of the success of Sapiens and Homo Deus, Professor Yuval Noah Harari has returned with another book, Almost for the Ages, except for the 21st Century. 21 Lessons for the 21st Century cuts through the knowledge overwhelm and muddy waters of the web world and confronts the foremost urgent questions on today's global agenda. I was excited once I received my copy of the book within the mail, courtesy of Penguin Books, and couldn't wait to urge my head buried in it. And by all accounts, i.e. mine, it didn't fail to disappoint. Lesson number one Disillusionment on the subject of data overwhelm, Harari makes the purpose that humans think in stories instead of in facts, numbers or equations which is why the communist, fascist and liberal stories of the 20th century were so powerful. The simpler the story, he says, the higher. A lesson not just for those of you declaring political war, which is fair to mention few of your, but also for those of you within the business and entrepreneurship game. It's imperative that you simply make your story simple. While the 20th century was all about three political systems, the 21st century introduces new stories and classes, that of humans, superhumans and AI. Artificial Intelligence As AI gets more sophisticated it'll create classes of humans, superhumans who are augmented by technology. As Elon Musk acknowledged on a recent episode of the Joe Rogan Experience, we've already been augmented, there's just a disconnect and therefore the rate is just too slow. While there's tons of pushback against the liberal story today, Harari says that at the top of the day humankind won't abandon the liberal story because it doesn't have any viable alternatives. People may give the system an angry kick within the stomach, but having nowhere else to travel they're going to eventually come. Lesson number two, ignorance. On free will, behavioral economists and evolutionary psychologists have demonstrated that the majority human decisions are supported emotional reactions and heuristic shortcuts instead of on rational analysis which while out emotions and heuristics were perhaps suitable for handling life within the Stone Age they're woefully inadequate within the Silicon Age. No individual knows everything it takes to create a cathedral, an atomic bomb, or an aircraft. What gave Homo sapiens a foothold over other animals wasn't rationality, but our unparalleled ability to think together in large groups. Individual humans know embarrassingly little about the planet, and as history progressed we came to understand less and fewer. We believe the expertise of others for nearly all our needs. This is what Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernbach ask as the knowledge illusion. The reason we expect we all know tons, albeit individually we all know little or no, is because we treat knowledge within the minds of others as if it were our own. If you'll not afford to waste time you'll never find the reality. Most political figures and business moguls are forever on the run. Yet if you would like to travel deeply into any subject you would like tons of your time, and especially you would like the privilege of dalliance to experiment with unproductive paths, to explore dead ends to form space for doubts and tedium, to permit little seeds of insight to slowly grow and blossom. Fake News When 1,000 people believe some made-up story for one month that's fake news. When a billion people believe it for thousand years that's religion, 
and that we are admonished to not call it fake news so as to not hurt the emotions, but the faithful. For better or worse, Harari says, fiction is among the foremost effective tools in humanity's toolkit. By bringing people together, religious creeds make large-scale human cooperation possible. Stories in Business Besides religions and ideologies, commercial firms believe fiction and faux news too. Branding often involves retelling an equivalent fictional story again and again till people become convinced it's the reality. Once I say Coca-Cola, you almost certainly consider children enjoying it, playing sports and having fun. You almost certainly don't believe overweight diabetes patients lying in hospital beds. Harari goes on to mention that while we certainly need good science, from a political perspective an honest fantasy movie is worth much more than a piece of writing in science or nature. Lesson number three Fantasy In the early 21st century, perhaps the foremost important artistic genre is fantasy because only a few people read the newest articles within the field of machine learning or gene splicing, but instead movies like The Matrix and her and television series like Westworld and Black Mirror shape how people understand technology and its social and economic impacts. This also means fantasy must be much more responsible within the way it depicts scientific realities otherwise it'd give people with the incorrect ideas or focus their attention on the incorrect problems. Perhaps the worst failing of present-day fantasy is that it attempts to confuse intelligence with consciousness. As a result it's overly concerned a few potential war between robots and humans when actually we'd like to feel a conflict between a little superhuman elite. In Brooding About the Longer Term of AI, Harari says, Marx remains a far better guide than Spielberg. Lesson number four, education. Much of what kids learn today will likely be irrelevant by 2050, which echoes many of my very own teachings as a part of the Lemonade Stand Children's Entrepreneurship Program that we've been running for nearly three years now. I've always maintained, during this point, that what kids actually need to find out is adaptability, learning the way to learn, resilience, curiosity, critical thinking, problem-solving, and effective collaboration. However, we'll learn what Harari and pedagogical experts think shortly. Harari said that the last item an educator must give her pupils today is more information for they have already got far an excessive amount of, of it. Instead, people need the power to form sense of data, to inform the difference between what's important and what's a crucial, and in particular to mix many bits of data into a broad picture of the planet. Many pedagogical experts, Harari says, argue that schools should switch to teaching the four C's, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity, echoing my earlier sentiments. More broadly schools should downplay technical skills and emphasize general-purpose life skills. Most vital of all are going to be the power to affect change to find out new things and to preserve your mental soundness in unfamiliar situations. Again, learning the way to learn, resilience, and adaptableness. If somebody describes to you the planet of the mid-21st century, and it seems like fantasy, it's probably false, but if somebody describes to you the planet of the mid-21st century, and it doesn't sound like fantasy, it's certainly false, says Harari.
On adapting to vary, after a particular age, Harari says, most of the people just don't wish to change. Once you are 15 your entire life is change. By the time you're 50, you don't want to vary and most of the people have given abreast of conquering the planet. You favor stability. You've got invested such a lot in your skills, your career, your identity, and your worldview that you simply don't want to start out everywhere again. The harder you've worked on building something the harder it's to abandoning of it and make space for something new. This shows up in most established organizations today with entrenched ways of doing things and senior decision makers who are unwavering in their desire to take care of the established order. In light of this, the simplest advice Harari has for today's 15-year-olds isn't to believe the adults an excessive amount of. Most of them mean well but they only don't understand the planet. To run fast don't take much luggage with you and leave all of your illusions behind they're very heavy. Turtles all the way down. There is a story of a person who claimed that the planet is kept in situ by resting on the rear of an enormous elephant. When asked what the elephant stands on he replied that I stand on the rear of an outsized turtle. And therefore the turtle? On the rear of a good bigger turtle. Which bigger total? The person snapped and said don't bother about it, from there onwards it's turtles all the way down. Going back to the introductory gambit on stories, the foremost successful stories, Harari says, are open-ended. Most stories are held together by the load of the roof instead of by the strength of the foundations. In history, the roof is usually more important than the foundations. Make people believe your story. If you would like to form people really believe some fiction entice them to form a sacrifice on its behalf. Why does one think women ask their lovers to bring them diamond rings, asks Harari. Once a devotee makes such an enormous financial sacrifice, he must convince himself that it had been for a worthy cause. This is often in line with rationalizing and normalizing our decisions, and what Barry Schwartz calls satisficing. When you inflict suffering on yourself within the name of some story, it gives you a choice, either the story is true or I'm a gullible fool. Once you inflict suffering on others you're also given a choice, either the story is true or I'm a cruel villain. And even as we don't want to admit we are fools we also don't want to admit we are villains, so we like better to believe that the story is true. One more thing on discretion. Just consider subsequent thought that pops in your mind, where did it come from? Did you actually prefer to think it and only then did you think that it? Never. Realizing this will help us subside it obsessive about our opinions, feelings, and desires. Humans usually give such a lot importance to their desires that they struggle to regulate and shape the whole world consistent with these desires. It's better to know ourselves our minds and our desires, instead of attempt to realize whatever fantasy pops up in our heads. Lesson number five work. Harari says that the higher we understand the biochemical mechanisms that underpin human emotions, desires and choices the higher computers can get at analyzing human behavior, predicting human decisions and replacing human professions like bankers and lawyers. At least in some lines of labor, It'd add up to exchange all humans with computers, albeit individually some humans still do a far better job than machines. 
on automation. The U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration estimated that in 2012, 31% of fatal crashes involved alcoholic abuse, 30% speeding and 20% distracted drivers. Self-driving vehicles have none of those flaws and eventually, we could see the displacement of 3.5 million professional truck drivers within the US alone, amongst other driving professions. Rather than replacing humans entirely though, AI might actually help create new human jobs. Rather than humans competing with AI they might specialize in servicing and leveraging AI. The work market of 2050 is probably going to be characterized by human-AI cooperation instead of competition. Several years after IBM's Deep Blue defeated chess grandmaster Garry Kasparov, human-computer cooperation flourished. However, in recent years computers became so good at playing chess that their human collaborators lost their value, which might be seen as a precursor to what might happen at a more pervasive level. Another computer virus, DeepMind's AlphaZero, went from utter ignorance to creative mastery in under four hours without the assistance of any human guide to dominate the world's best AlphaGo players and programs. AI and Creativity People often say that AI could never desire a person's being, that it could never be as creative as a person's being. On now, chess tournament judges are constantly on the lookout for players secretly getting help from computers. One among the ways to catch cheats, we're told, is to watch the extent of originality players display. If they play exceptionally creative moves, the judges suspect that this cannot possibly be a person's move, it must be a computer move. A minimum of in chess, creativity is already the trademark of computers instead of humans. Alternatives to UBI The government could subsidize universal basic services, UBS, instead of income rather than giving money to people that then go searching for whatever they need the government might subsidize free education, free healthcare, free transport then forth. This effectively brings the communist aside to fruition, albeit not by revolution. Harari warns of the threat of further geographic consolidation of wealth though. If a 3D printer takes over from the Bangladeshis, the revenues previously earned by the South Asian country will now fill the coffers of a couple of tech giants in California. This might pave the way for a good greater wealth gap and therefore the collapse of developing countries. Some say that the large tech companies should be taxed to hide the shortfall, and right they'll be, insofar, because the local distribution of taxes cares, but Harari points out that folks are unlikely to support the distribution of those funds offshore to places defined by President Trump as shithole countries. If you think the standard American voter will support that, says Harari, you would possibly even as well believe that Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny will solve the matter. Happiness equals reality expectations. The problem with UBI or UBS is that citizenry aren't just built for satisfaction. Human happiness depends less on objective conditions and more on our own expectations. Our expectations adapt to changing conditions including to the condition of people, keeping up with the Joneses. When things improve, expectations balloon and consequently even dramatic improvements in conditions might leave us as a dissatisfied as before. 
Today's poor live better than yesterday's kings, however, Americans are taking antidepressants in astounding numbers, resulting in the present opioid epidemic. People needn't only the fundamentals, but they need to desire they have enough, that their contributions are worthwhile, that they're learning and growing which they need access to a community. Social media. It is fascinating and terrifying to behold people that spent countless hours constructing and enhancing an ideal self online, becoming attached to their creation and mistaking it for the reality about themselves. If you'll only feel what the people within the photos felt while taking them. Hence if you actually want to know yourself, Harari says, you ought to not identify together with your Facebook or Instagram account. The Buddha and therefore the universe. The Buddha taught that the three basic realities of the universe. 1. Everything is consistently changing. 2. Nothing has any enduring essence, and 3. Nothing is totally satisfied. Suffering emerges because people fail to understand this. You'll explore the furthest reaches of the galaxy, but you'll never encounter something that doesn't change, that has endless essence, which completely satisfies you. According to Buddha, life has no meaning and other people don't got to create any meaning. Lesson number 6 Meditation Harari echoes what philosophers are saying for millennia, that the deepest source of suffering is within the patterns of our own minds. Once I want something and it doesn't happen, my mind reacts by generating suffering. Suffering isn't an objective condition within the outside world. It's a mental reaction generated by our own minds. Learning this is often the primary step towards ceasing to get more suffering. Meditation isn't in shake reality. It's getting into touch with reality. Without the main target and clarity provided by this practice, Harari says he couldn't have written this book. He sees meditation so far another valuable tool within the scientific talking, especially when trying to know the human mind, which is a stimulating combat conflating calm and clarity ambitiously in progress. Harari closes out with some words of wisdom. Consciousness is that the greatest mystery within the universe. We had better understand our minds before the algorithms make a match-up for us. Lesson number 7 Liberty On Democracy and Voting Harari shares the subsequent quote, You might also call a nationwide plebiscite to make a decision whether Einstein got his algebra right. However, he goes on to mention that for better or worse, elections and referendums aren't about what we expect. They're about what we feel. Winston Churchill famously said that democracy is that the worst form of government within the world, apart from all the others. Rightly or wrongly people might reach an equivalent conclusions about big data to algorithms which will come to run the planet. They could have many bugs, but we've no better alternative. Truth Recently on an episode of the Sam Harris podcast, Harris and psychologist Jordan Peterson debated for what seemed endlessly, the definition of truth. Harari puts it simply, truth today is defined by the highest results of the Google search. On big data algorithms, once we start to calculate AI to make a decision what to review, where to figure, and who to marry, democratic elections and free markets will make little sense. Psychology and AI in War On March 16, 1968, 
a corporation of Yank soldiers went berserk within the South Vietnamese village of My Lai and massacred about 400 civilians. This crime was initiated by American forces that had been involved in jungle guerrilla warfare for several months. It had been a fault of human emotions. If the U.S. had the killer robots in Vietnam, the massacre would never have occurred. However, if the U.S. had killer robots the war could have dragged on for several more years because the American government would have had fewer worries about the moral of soldiers or massive anti-war demonstrations. Companies today aren't only doing more with less, like Netflix, which with 5,000 approximately employees features a market capitalization of quite 60 billion US dollars compared to Blockbuster which, with a workforce of 60,000 could only muster a market cap at its peak of 5 billion US dollars. These benefits reach the realm of warfare. Today whenever Palestinians make a call or post something on Facebook, or travel from one place to a different they're likely to be monitored by Israeli microphones, cameras, drones and software. The info is analyzed with the help of algorithms which helps Israeli security forces pinpoint and utilize potential threats. It's therefore surprisingly easy for few Israeli soldiers to regulate about two and a half million Palestinians. Algorithms in Private Finance when you apply it to your bank for a loan, it's likely that your application is processed by an algorithm instead of a person's. The bank might refuse to offer you a loan and you ask why and therefore the bank replies, algorithm said no. You ask, why did the algorithm say no, what's wrong with me? The bank replies we don't know, no human understands the algorithm because it's supported advanced machine learning, but we trust our algorithm, so we won't offer you a loan. Lesson number 8 Religion Harari says that so as to know the role of traditional religions within the world of the 21st century, we'd like to differentiate between three sorts of problems. 1. Technical Problems how should farmers in arid countries affect severe droughts caused by global warming? Two policy problems. What measures should government adopt to stop heating within the first place? Three identity problems. Should I even care about the issues of farmers on the opposite side of the world? As Marx argued, religion doesn't really have much to contribute to the good policy debates of our time. Freud ridiculed the obsession people have about such matters as a narcissism of small differences. On now, I did some research to seek out, out why the Eastern Orthodox and Western Christian religions branched far away from one another. One among the key points of difference that ultimately split the churches was that the majority Western Christians use a version of the Nicene Creed that states that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Daddy and therefore the Son, whereas the first orthodox version doesn't feature in the sun. That was it. Perhaps Freud had some extent. Lesson number 9 Immigration To clarify matters, Harari defines immigration as affect three basic conditions or terms. 1. The host country allows two immigrants in. 2. Reciprocally, the immigrants must embrace a minimum of the norms and values of the host country albeit meaning abandoning a number of their traditional norms and values. 3. If they assimilate to a sufficient degree over time they become equal and full members of the host country. They become us. 
Precisely because you cherish tolerance, says Harari, you'll not allow too many intolerant people in. While the tolerant society can manage more liberal minorities, if the amount of such extremes exceeds a particular threshold, the entire nature of society changes. If you're bringing in too many immigrants from the Center East, you'll eventually find yourself looking just like the Middle East, says Harari. On culturists, people still conduct a heroic struggle against traditional racism without noticing that the battlefront has shifted from traditional racism to culturists. Terrorism. On terrorists, they kill only a few people but nevertheless manage to terrify billions and shake huge political structures like the ECU Union or the S to their core. Since 9-11, per annum terrorists have killed about 50 people within the EU, about 10 people within the USA, about 7 people in China and 25,000 people globally, mostly in Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nigeria and Syria. Diabetes and high sugar levels kill up to 3.5 million people annually while pollution kills about 7 million people. Terrorism is just like the fly that tries to destroy a china shop. The fly is so weak that it cannot move even one teacup. How does a fly destroy china shop, asks Harari. It gets inside a bull's ear and starts buzzing. The ball goes wild with fear and anger and destroys the china shop. This is often what happened after September 11, as Islamic fundamentalists got inside the ear of the American bull to destroy the center eastern china shop. Now they flourish within the wreckage. And Harari reminds us that there's no shortage of a short-tempered bulls within the world. The overreaction to terrorism poses a far greater threat to our security than terrorists themselves. This lesson echoes lessons from Robert Greene's 33 strategies of war in luling your opponent into making premature, emotion-driven decisions and ultimately, the incorrect move, one that you simply are able to capitalize on. Harari says that a successful counter-terrorism struggle should be conducted on three fronts. One government should specialize in clandestine actions against the fear networks. Two, the media should keep things in perspective and avoid hysteria theater. Because it stands, the media obsessively report terror attacks because reports on terrorism sell newspapers far better than reports of diabetes or pollution. Three, the imagination of every and each one among us. Lesson number 10, war. Today information technology and biotechnology are more important than heavy industry when it involves war. Today the most economic assets contains technical and institutional knowledge instead of wheat fields, gold mines or maybe oil fields, and you only cannot conquer knowledge through war. Lesson number 11 Humility Even apes develop the tendency to assist the poor, the needy and fatherless many years before the Bible instructed ancient Israelites to try to to an equivalent. Lesson number 12 God Harari says that morality doesn't mean following divinities. It means reducing suffering. Hence so as to act morally, you don't got to believe any myth or story. You only got to develop a deep appreciation of suffering. Within the end of the day, immoral behavior is counterproductive. You're unlikely to measure during a society where strangers are constantly being raped and murdered.
Not only would you be in constant danger, but you'd lack the advantage of trust between strangers which supports trade and economic process among other things. Religious belief can either create compassion in people or justify and stoke their anger especially if someone dares to insult their God ignores his wishes. On secularism, Harari reminds us that the secular code enshrines the values of truth, compassion, equality, freedom, courage, and responsibility. The secular code isn't a perfect to aspire to instead of social reality. The most important secular commitment is to truth which is predicated on observation and evidence instead of on mere faith. Interestingly, Harari notes that conviction is usually required where the story isn't true. It is the commitment to the reality in modern science which has enabled humankind to separate the atom, decipher the human genome, track the evolution of life and understand the history of humanity itself. Finally, secular people cherish responsibility. We'd like not credit any divine protector with these achievements the resulting from humans developing their own knowledge and compassion. Rather than praying for miracles we'd like to ask what we will do to assist. Harari makes an excellent point in saying that as we come to form the foremost important decision within the history of life I personally would trust more in those that admit ignorance than those that claim infallibility. As I said during a recent blog post, watch out for people bearing absolutes. He goes on to mention that if I asked you what was the most important mistake your religion, ideology or worldview committed, and you probably did not come up with something serious, I for one wouldn't trust you. Lesson number 13 Equality Those who own the info own the longer term. Harari says that unlike land and machines data is everywhere and nowhere at an equivalent time, it can move at the speed of sunshine and you'll create as many copies of it as you would like. So we had better call upon our lawyers, politicians, philosophers, and even poets to show their attention to the present conundrum. The key political question of our era is sort of possibly, how does one regulate the ownership of data? This also echoes what many commentators are saying when analyzing the forward march of massive tech companies who, more often than not, are spearheaded by people that lack the basics when it involves the broader economic, political, social or philosophical implications of their work. We'd like to unravel complex problems by taking a multidisciplinary approach. Lesson number 14 Nationalism There is nothing wrong with benign patriotism. The problem, Harari warns, starts when benign patriotism morphs into chauvinistic ultranationalism. Rather than believing that my nation is exclusive, which is true all nations, I begin feeling that my nation is supreme. The environment. Unless we dramatically cut the emission of greenhouse gases within the next 20 years, average global temperatures will increase by quite 2 degrees Celsius leading to expanding deserts, disappearing ice caps, rising oceans and more extreme weather events like hurricanes and typhoons. It isn't a coincidence that skepticism about global climate change tends to be the preserve of the nationalist right, says Harari. You rarely see left-wing socialists tweet that global climate change may be a Chinese hoax. When there's no rational answer, but only a worldwide answer to the matter of worldwide warming, some nationalist politicians like better to believe the matter doesn't exist. 
To counter this, the arrival of unconventional technologies might help. For instance, clean meat. This might sound like fantasy, but the world's first clean hamburger was grown from cells then eaten in 2013. It cost $330,000. For years of research and development brought the worth right down to $11 per unit, and within another decade, clean meat is predicted to be cheaper than slaughtered meat which may count for tons towards ecological rejuvenation once you consider that the water footprint of beef alone is 1,800 gallons per pound of beef. Three threats facing humanity, technological nuclear and ecological. We now have a worldwide ecology, a worldwide economy and global science, but we are still cursed with only national politics. This mismatch prevents the form of government from effectively countering main problems. To possess effective politics we must either be globalizing economics and therefore the major science, or we must globalize politics. Global governance, Harari says, is unrealistic. Rather, to globalize politics means political dynamics within countries give much more weight to global problems and interests.